Adventure is our business. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the NDE. It was free for all and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse me. Hello. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and this is Keep Off the Borderlands. And what I've got for you in this episode is well, you know the drill. I'm going to respond to the messages I've received since the last episode. Then I am probably going to ramble on for an extended period of time about what I've been up to since then. I will then take that recording, edit out all the extended pauses, all the moments where I struggle to think of a word, all the lip smacking, all the stutters, all the false starts, the extraneous errs and ums and hopefully I'll be left with something long enough to constitute an episode. So let's do this. Alright Spence, hope you're well man. Uh, just calling in Pearl and Dean that was a deep cut right there, and I thank you for that slice of nostalgia. Nice one. In fact, uh, now think about it, it's well overdue. A man in the cinematography like yourself, I feel you should have had that in there way earlier, and it's bang on for the podcast. Take care, catch you later. Thank you, Colin. Colin Spike Pit Green there. And, uh, well, actually, that... Slice of Pearl and Dean was at the beginning of Safer's message. I didn't actually add it in myself. I have toyed with using it in the past, but worried about it being flagged up as copyright infringement and all that nonsense. Otherwise, yes, I'd be, forget the jingles, I'd just be using that all over the place because... <laughs> no, no, throwing no shade on Mr. TJ Drennan, the man responsible for all the wonderful music you hear in this podcast but um yeah there's something about that little bit of pearl and dean music that's just and it's like a tidal wave of nostalgia just hitting me in the face talking of tj i think he gets a mention in this next message all right spence now you might recall a couple of years back i did a bit of podcasting whilst on a road trip in Wales, and in fact, played in a game with uh, run by TJ, and uh, there was a bunch of the folks from across the pond, and it was a some ungodly hour in the morning over here, and I was in Carnarvon, uh, but following that, uh, the missus wanted to go to Port Merion, and we, uh, I didn't fancy it. We headed there, 
and um, it, it was going to cost an arm and a leg to get in. So when we arrived <laughs> and discovered the place was shut, <laughs> I was quite relieved. It was a bit of a touch, but um, she wasn't amused, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I will take care catch you later <laughs> thanks very much Colin uh, to be honest I'm surprised they can actually shut the village but um, see I don't recall paying to get in and I recall the place being like a ghost town as well but I mean yeah it was some years ago we're talking probably 15 years ago I swear the place was empty but but I've certainly, certainly been there. I might have to go back through my old photos and uh, see if I can find any evidence of that experience. But um, yeah, yeah. To me, I, I have memories of it feeling like a sort of an empty film set, you know. But uh, there you go. Thanks for that. Thanks for that chuckle. Cheers, Colin. Hey Spencer, Jason here. So, if that comes up against the M1, maybe a more appropriate movie reference would be The Monster Club, where the segment called The Ghouls and Stuart Whitman as a movie director finds an isolated village off the main highway. If you haven't seen The Monster Club, it's kind of silly fun, but you get to see some familiar faces in there, and all in all, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a fun movie, makes you smile, and, and it's maybe not a total waste of an hour and a half, it, if you like a kind of silly anthology horror movie. Anyhow, talk to you later. Jason Connolly there of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and thank you very much for that message, Jason. And I do love an anthology horror movie. Um, you know, and I'm up for a bit of silly fun too, so I might go and check that one out. I don't recognise the name of the director. Um, Monster, I was going to say The Monster Squad then. That's a, that's a different movie and uh, that's one I haven't seen in years. Yeah, The Monster Club. Uh, yeah, not familiar Not familiar with that. Well, you mentioned the M1 there. I assume it's a British movie, but uh, you also use the term highway. So uh, that may not be the case. But... Thank you very much for that message. And of course, that's not the only one. Hey, Spencer. Thank you for talking about Wolven. It's a very interesting film. And it, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a missed opportunity, but worth watching. Also worth watching for completely other reasons is the film version of Communion, where Christopher Walken plays Whitley Strieber. And... You know, it deals with the whole alien abduction thing. And, yeah, Christopher Walken's amazing in that movie. And that movie's worth watching for Christopher Walken's performance and really nothing else. But it's definitely worth watching for that. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Yet another movie I haven't seen, but I've always got time to watch a Christopher Walken performance. So I may, may have to uh, keep an eye out for that one, too. Yeah, Wolfen was certainly not a waste of time. A very, very interesting film. Again, Albert Albert Finney, another great actor who I could watch in almost anything. 
And uh, yeah, communion. I've I've got very vivid images of the cover of the video case or DVD case or whatever it would have been the last time I spotted a copy. But um, yeah, never actually seen it. So uh, yeah, if I get the time, sounds like one to have on in the background though. Thank you for going over Orbital Blues. Sounds interesting. It. So you talk about noir games. Have you looked at A Dirty World? Is it Greg Schultz or Stoltz? Greg Stoltz, I think. I, I don't know. I'm in the car. But A Dirty World's the name of it. Very interesting mechanics in there as well. Uh, of course, that's it's much more of a standard noir than a space noir or anything like that. Yeah, A, a Dirty World. Um, yes, unsurprisingly, I do have a PDF of that. Greg Stoltz, great game designer probably doing myself a disservice having not had a look at that one certainly a fan of noir as a genre so yes probably should really find the time to have a look through that one thanks very much again jason cheers holy crap dude as soon as you said the words the prisoner and the village i knew exactly what you were going to talk about the Prisoner was one of my favorite shows in high school. One of the very few British shows that I actually watched in high school because a buddy of mine, his uncle loved that show and had them all on VHS. So we would watch them all on VHS. That show was amazing. It's a mind trip. I, the, I had no idea there was a role-playing game based on it. I need to listen to the rest of what you're about to say, but <laughs> I just had a call in to say, I love the prisoner and I am not a number. I am a free man. Thank you, Joe. Joe Richter there of Hindsightless. And yes, an incredible show. Although my memories of it are far too vague and I really do need to revisit it. What I didn't realize is that Patrick McGowan actually created the show himself and starred in it. I never knew that. I really am looking forward to revisiting that series. Yeah, the game itself, um, Be Seeing You, it takes a lot of inspiration from The Prisoner. I think the setting is a bit more... It, it, it strikes me as being a bit more kind of dystopian future. Well, I say future. I mean, you know, if you live in a city, you can't get away from CCTV cameras in England at least. So so I guess, yeah, rather than dystopian future, it's dystopian present. I do, I do have to have a proper dive into that. Strikes me as being maybe a bit more uh, living under a fascistic, oppressive regime. Fortunately, we're not exactly at that stage quite yet. But still time. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not going to make any predictions about the future because, well, if the last few years taught us anything, you don't know what's around the corner. But, well, onwards and upwards, hopefully. Thanks, Joe. And if you are a number, it's numero uno. Cheers. All right, Spence. Glad you reminded me about that osseous episode. I've gone back and had a listen myself. And do you know what? I think that'd be an, a great idea to uh, put that back out. It was a real fun recording. Unfortunately, somehow I, I made a bit of a mess of the audio that um, we recorded at your end. 
I remember there was a little bit of faffing about, but yeah, that was a a little bit disappointing. But it's it's still clear enough, and uh, yeah, really fun to do. Um, I'm I'm glad you you kind of can listen back to it with fondness. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it's all about, mate. So you take care of yourself, and I'll catch you later. Good old Spike Pit again there. Thank you, Colin. Thanks for airing that episode again. Yes, I I went back and listened to that. Just I think I just wanted to give myself a bit of an ego boost at the time. And after uh, contacting Colin and thanking him again for giving me that opportunity of a bit of impromptu GMing, uh, yeah, he put out the episode again. But I, I called in to Colin myself to say that that certainly the sound at my end on that episode is awful because of my setup. It's not Colin that dropped the ball there. It was very early on in my online gaming and I wasn't quite aware of just how awful that headset sounded to other folks. Um, but yeah, thanks again. Thanks for your kind words, Colin. And um, I've just actually listened to the most recent episode of Roleplay Rescue, Jay Webster's excellent podcast. And um, that's all about gaming alone, episode 18, season 10, playing alone. And um, he played a message towards the end of that episode, um, which was a call in from me, where uh, I don't know, I think I may have been, it's, I, quite, I sound like I'm quite heavily sedated, but I don't know, maybe I was just feeling a bit low when I called that one in. Uh, Yeah, but I talk about Colin and how generous he was in nudging me in that improv direction to uh, take out the GM reins, albeit briefly. And uh, yeah, perhaps I should should really build on that little experience I had there. And I also go into talking about the possibility of improv play, which leads us nicely to the next message from the master of improv GMing himself, Mr. Barney Dicker. Take it away, Barney. Hi, Spencer, it's Barney. I don't think I've thanked you privately or publicly for nominating League of Eternal Guardians as one of your favourite RPGs on Jason's uh, mega uh, mega compendium episode of top three RPGs that is just just means such a lot uh, to me and it's 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 continues to be wonderful to have as many opportunities as I do to play games with you and talk to you about things and long may that continue. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Barney. Thank you for a wonderful message and thank you for creating League of Eternal Guardians because, you know, how could I not nominate that? I've had so much fun playing in that and, um, Actually, it's great to have a message from you because I wanted to talk a bit in this episode about 
the games I've been playing and what a wonderful job you've been doing in setting those games up. Particularly, um, I played Those Dark Places, run by the creator, Jonathan Hicks. That was all set up by Barney. Thank you very much for that, Barney. Um, it's really nice to play in a game run by the creator. So you're getting exactly the game as it was intended, as you know their, their vision of how it should be played. That's that was fantastic. And then Barney went on to set up a session um, with Jacob Wood, who created Survival of the Able, which is a game where all the characters have some form of disability. And it's like it's a medieval zombie apocalypse. The dead begin to rise, and you have to work as a team uh, in order to, you know, survive the scenario that you find yourself in. Now, we had one session of that, and uh, I believe we've got a subsequent session planned in the next week or so. Very much looking forward to getting into that. And it is, it's interesting playing a character with a disability, physical limitations, very much like my own and um it's and it, it's fine it's kind of a a twist on the the niche protection idea in that as you know you have to work as a party in order to overcome the obstacles that you face and i have to be honest the first half of that session i found it quite frustrating not, not because of the system. Uh, essentially, the system is, is fate, but it's kind of pared down, as, as I understand it. I've not actually played fate, but it uses the fudge dice. And the, the characters, they're not as, as powerful as your regular fate characters. I'm, I'm purely speaking, speaking from a position of ignorance there, a, a situation I often find myself in. But... That's how I understand fate to be without without having actually played it. But yeah, as I say, I played somebody with uh, severe mobility issues, very physically weak, and um, I guess the the frustration of play came through the character. You know, the character I was I was playing was somebody who longed for adventure, somebody who'd had quite an adventurous life and they had suffered with scurvy and actually I've got the character sheet here. Um yeah, scurvy. Um Vasco Vincenti. Um Vasco is a former sailor from Portugal who has travelled much of the known world. His career was cut short when a prolonged bout of scurvy left him frail, sick and senile. He came to St Giles to be cured of the disease, but has never fully recovered from its terrible effects, and here he remains. Although he has a great deal of worldly experience, Vasco suffers from short-term memory loss as a result of the disease. His bones are brittle, and all but two of his teeth have fallen out. Despite his poor health, Vasco longs to travel again and would give anything to go on an adventure. He's just as daring 
as he was in his sailing days, which were not so long ago, but he lacks the strength and energy to keep up with most daily tasks, let alone extended travel. So I kind of, yes, I, I was talking about the frustrations that I felt playing that character, not just because of the condition, but the, the fact that the, the character is, he's, he's not afraid to step up to the plate. He still views himself as this kind of adventurous, heroic figure. And at the beginning of the game, when things kicked off, Vasco was trying to engage in combat with this uh, undead character who he obviously didn't realise was was un, undead at the time. And try as I might, I just could not effectively engage in combat with this thing. I um, and and the best I could do was try and keep it engaged while the others rallied round, and we figured out what needed to be done now the others um who had a character who was blind a character who was deaf and uh mute and another character who was um physically disabled in some way apologies was struggling to remember and it wasn't until later on in the session where we actively effectively worked together we we came together and really each of the characters was able to play to their own strengths, that it turned out to be a really rewarding experience, I thought. And, uh, yeah, very much looking to looking forward to the concluding session of that little scenario. Great stuff. And thanks again to Barney for setting that up. Also, I've been playing in Barney's... Neo-Triassic Shoreline Regression Syndrome game. I had uh, three three sessions of that, and uh, yeah, that's been that's been really really enjoyable. Uh, set in a few hundred years in the future, the sea levels have risen. the The world has become dense tropical jungle, um, swampland everywhere. And um, essentially, you know, it's a lizard's paradise, shall we say. Uh, humans are very much restricted to living in the once polar, now temperate regions at the poles with some pockets of humans dotted around trying to eke out existences in different ways and Different areas of the world kind of cut off from civilization, And it's just a really, really interesting setting. I've actually started reading The Drowned Earth by... Um, no, is it The Drowned Earth? Drowned World uh, by J.G. Ballard, um, which is very much an inspiration for the setting. That uh, is still funding actually over on Kofi. If uh, anyone wants to get in on that, um, actually I say it's still funding. It's funded, but there are stretch goals which I myself am involved in. Yeah, if you want to put me to work, 
uh, get over and uh, contribute to that. But yeah, really, really having a lot of fun with that. And again, in that game, all the all the characters have some kind of disability or a condition that they are struggling with. And uh, my my character has a condition prosopagnosia, which is the inability to recognise faces. But as a result of that, he's very, very skilled at noticing little details about uh, people because that's how he, he, he recognises folks by, you know, the way they... They walk or little habits they might have. Their voices, obviously. Where we're actually on a reconnaissance mission, we're trying to find a previous expedition which has gone into an area and lost contact. Uh, so I'm kind of in an unenviable position of <laughs> having to track down people my character doesn't know personally but is unable to recognise them by their faces. So uh, um, that's that's leading to interesting complications. So, uh, yeah. And I think, I think that's all I've got to talk about. There was something else I wanted to talk about. Another game that I played, thanks again to Barney, um, because he interviewed its creator, Amanda P, on the most recent episode of Loco Ludus, episode 84. And that game is Pilgrimage of the Sun Guard. Now, this is a solo game. Um, and I've, I've struggled with solo games in the past especially journaling games. But this is slightly different in the sense that it is a bit more structured. Uh, the game is a series of random tables, initially for creating a pilgrim and then for determining the encounters on their journey. You are a pilgrim of the sun card and... You are journeying to a temple where, on your arrival, you are going to speak of your deeds that you have undertaken upon your journey. Now, the way the game's structured is it's very easy to just pick up and you start playing it. So I rolled up a character called Sammer the Worthy, who was an apprentice whose code was to prove oneself to others through great deeds, um, with the traits of being eager and curious. Um, they carried with them a cherished item, a kerchief that belonged to their younger brother, who died as a young boy. And then you, you roll a couple of D6s to determine the resources that you have on, on your journey. Now, your resources are also your your stats, your attributes. Might, guile, and honour. You also have time as an attribute, and you get six, 
which is essentially the same number of locations that you visit on your journey. So I had one for Mike, one in Guile, two for Honor. And as I say, uh, the time is a value of six. And each location you visit, you roll up two encounters. And these encounters, more often than not, will require you to spend a resource. Uh, for each location, you, you tick off a unit of time. And you see how far you can get on that journey before you run out of resources. Your journey could end there, or you can choose to compromise, uh, go against your code, your, your principles, and, and in doing so, gain further resources. So, yes, with each location you visit, you roll up two random encounters. Each of these encounters is a writing prompt, primarily. And some of those encounters, but not all of them, add to your deeds of renown. So, uh, my first encounter, I was awoken in the night by someone attempting to steal my sword. This was an individual who was fleeing from bandits. I was able to negotiate with them um, to let me keep my sword if I promised to defend them and they could travel with me. So, you know, you work all this stuff out narratively. And then I'm caught in a sandstorm, I take shelter in a shrine, which turns out to be vandalized. So I'd spent time cleaning it up and restoring it as best I could. Um, and then from the desert, I entered a forest where I encountered moss-covered statues, one of whom looked uncannily like my mother. And I stopped for a while to enjoy the shelter and tranquility of that space. Then I was playfully tormented by some twilight fae, and um, I attempted to amuse them by telling them riddles. Then I entered a great valley uh, where there was mysterious weavers who were happy to sit and listen to my tales of the sun god scholars and warriors. Then I came across a great tournament in which I uh, attempted to demonstrate my uh, skills as a fighter, but was sadly unhorsed for my efforts. Then I proceeded into the mountains where I heard uh, the glorious singing of the mountain folk, took out my brother's uh, handkerchief and wrapped it around my face for protection against the, the cold wind of the mountain, uh, discovered that my pack had been damaged, precious rations had been lost. It was at that point I'd run out of resources. So I tried to retrace my steps, but um, was unable to find anything. My companion was urging me to go on, but I was tired and hungry and lost my patience with them, uh, which led to us having an altercation, having this physical encounter with my companion was me going against my principles. And this allowed me to 
regained some resources. The wind dropped, the clouds broke, the warmth of the sun reinvigorated us both, helping him to his feet. We pressed on, reaching the endless stairs. My companion and I part ways. I persuade a merchant to allow me onto their cart. So I'm able to pass through a guarded encampment, conceal myself beneath a pile of animal furs, the lax guards waving the cart through. And yet at that point, I enter the temple. Uh, Then we go through the ceremony where I recount my deeds of renown from the journey. And it's just a a really fun couple of hours that I had. working my way through this game. Really, really fun experience. And because of the the random table nature of the game, obviously it can be played through again. There are variations of rules that you can apply if you want to make things maybe more difficult or, um, you know, just do things slightly differently. There are, there are alternative prompts towards the back of the, the book to add more variety to the game. And even uh, Amanda, the creator, said that she now uses the game for generating ideas for other games and writing other material. So, um, yeah, really nice little game. Uh, I may not have mentioned that it's, it's an Arthurian setting and there's a real... Sir Gawain and the Green Knight feeling running through the the game, which I enjoyed. So, um, and as with everything else I've mentioned thus far, I'll put a link in the description so you can pick this thing up. So there you go, an actual detailed session report. Another game I wanted to talk about that I found very interesting is um, Jason Tocci's 2400. Now, this is a game that is essentially a series of pamphlets. I'm not sure exactly how many. It's about 15, 16 maybe different pamphlets, um, which he keeps adding to all the time. If you buy this as a bundle... Every time he adds something new, you get it for free. So there's that. You can buy the stuff individually, if you like, on drive-thru. But as I say, if you get the bundle, which is only six bucks, I think, um, each one of those pamphlets is a different different setting or a kind of different spin on an existing setting. So there's kind of this cyberpunk stuff there's uh, space travel. There's a couple of games based on different aspects of Mass Effect. There's uh, sci-fi horror. There's one called The Zone, which is based on Roadside Picnic and Annihilation, which you know I'm a fan of. There's a one based on the Eclipse Phase. And there's also a, like a traditional D&D fantasy style one. Each one of these supplements focuses on different elements 
that you can combine in a single game. Like um, the Inner City Blues has uh, the cybernetic augmentation, Orbit or Decay, the space horror one, has a stress mechanic. Cosmic Highway, which is your kind of uh, firefly expanse setting, has um, tables for creating a spaceship. The Eclipse Phase one, called Alt, adds lots of stuff to character creation, so you can create all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. Uh, There's one called Project Icarus, which is kind of X-Men, Stranger Things, where the characters have got different special abilities. Uh, There's one called The Venusian Job, which is like a heist game, which gives you the mechanics to figure that out. Uh, There's one called Codebreaker, which is essentially The Matrix. Data Loss, which is Dark Souls. There's one that's kind of a bit of a, a take on Rifts, which combines all the settings together. There's just so much material here. One of the more recent ones, Battle Moon, which kind of expands the the combat. And yeah, yeah, that's an interesting element of it. This I mentioned it in a message to Jason Conleve, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. The system doesn't use hit points at all. You explain the risks involved in performing something and if death is a risk that's made clear to the players and if they roll badly that could be the end of their character very minimalist rules in fact i'll I'll read through the rules now which won't take long the basis of it is a simple d6 system each character has a d6 skill die so if you get, get a one or a two disaster suffer the full risk dm decides if you succeed at all if risking death you die three or four setback a lesser consequence or partial success if risking death you're injured five plus success the higher the roll the better now in character creation you get to give your character a number of skills and they get to roll a d8 instead of a d6 and through advancement you know you can roll a d10 d12 now depending on what setting you choose suggests how broad or focused you want to make those skills but um there's a lot of room to kind of play around there obviously with the the more focused skills gives you more scope if you're not worried about advancement then you know you can make those skills as broad as you like. So basically you've got this brief description of the rules and then what the actual setting is focused on. And um, it's just a really interesting way to present a game that I'm really taken by. Each of these little pamphlets features quite a prominent piece of art on the front. And because of the... The image, it means the actual description within can be that much lighter, you know, because it's the the image is very much conveying the theme and the feel of the game. So, yes, another one to check out. 
Jason has been writing regular updates on his blog, focusing on each one of these supplements and talking about his kind of design principles and uh, thoughts beyond, you know, what's in those pamphlets. Really interesting stuff. And that's on Pretendo Games, I think is the name of the blog. But um, yeah, I'll put a link to that in the description too. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.